It's Wednesday, February 10th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Maria Gallagher in the house. Good to see you. Nice to see you too. Cue the Everything is Awesome song from the Lego movie because we've got three stocks that are headed higher today. And we're going to start with Twitter. Shares of Twitter are up 8%. Uh, fourth quarter revenue was higher than expected. We can get into sort of guidance and, and where this company is going in 2021 and beyond. But what did you think of the fourth quarter? What stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, it was a really impressive fourth quarter. I'm sorry, as always, there's some background noise. It's like the world knows when I'm recording something it, to be loud behind me. So I'm sorry about that. But in a, I was in a small town like New York City, that's surprising <laughs> that there would be background noise. I know. Noise. They're always, the sirens are always right next to my window. Um, but the, the, Fourth quarter was really impressive. Um, their revenue was 1.3 billion, up 27 percent. It was actually uh, their highest ever in a quarter. Their global, uh, there was this broad-based recovery in advertising revenue. Their U.S. revenue was up 24 percent. Their international revenue was up 34 percent. Their Japan, which is actually their second largest market, their revenue was up 26 percent to now 14 percent of total revenue. And so that all kind of reminded the the investors of Twitter how global this platform is. Jack Dorsey made a pointed statement without naming any names, uh, saying, you know, the platform is much larger than any one topic or any one account. 80% of the audience is outside of the US. There are many accounts with over 25 million followers. So the strength in this quarter, I think, just reiterated to followers on Twitter and people who are investors that it's such a global platform and that it has a lot of room to grow and it's going to keep growing, hopefully. And in terms of the stock performance, it's up. It's up today. It's up over the past year, about 80%. Um, it, it, you and I were chatting uh, earlier today and when we were talking about Twitter, one of the things I said was, you know, Twitter just seems like one of those companies that can't get on a hot streak. They they really can't string together three or four or more um, really great, strong quarterly reports in a row. The the performance over the past year sort of uh, goes against you know what I just said. But uh, how optimistic do you think shareholders should be about 2021? I think that Twitter is really interesting because we have seen, you know, a return with advertisers. You see that advertisers are choosing to spend money on e-commerce, on social platforms. That's where they're going to get the best return on their advertising dollars. And so I think that we haven't really figured out where Twitter is and how effective it is for advertisers and what users, you know, it's clear when you're on Instagram, you could be shopping for clothes. When you're on Pinterest, you could be shopping for home decor. I think it's hard for people to make a clear connection between people who are scrolling through politics, Twitter, to know, you know, what are you now buying? And so for an advertiser, what is the benefit of being on this specific platform versus many other platforms? And I think, you know, that's what we need to keep looking for and understanding for when it comes to Twitter is why do advertisers need to go to that platform? And it's also uh, a situation where part of what drives engagement on Twitter is live events, and we're you know there's just uh, for all the obvious reasons um, those have been cut back. It certainly would be great for Twitter's business, not to say a number of other businesses, if the 2021 Olympics uh, was able to be pulled off later this year. 
Yeah, and they did announce that they have a global video content deal with NBC Universal, so that's going to provide people with premium content as more and more things start to roll out. So, you know, people say you're watching the Golden Globes, you're watching the Super Bowl, you spend some of your time watching it and then the rest of your time on Twitter seeing what other people are saying about it. So, I think that you're right if more and more events cause people to go to that platform more, those could be really interesting monetization ideas for advertisers at that moment in time. Lyft lost money in the fourth quarter, but not as much money as Wall Street was fearing. You couple that with the fact that Lyft's revenue was higher than expected and boom, shares of Lyft up 5% and hitting a new 52-week high. Yeah, so Lyft, their quarter four, their revenue was down about 44% to 569.9 million, but that is a sequential increase. So it's up 14% from quarter, uh, the third quarter this year. And then for their full year, there was a revenue of 2.4 billion down 35% year over year. And something that you could see that's pretty interesting with Lyft is one, they did better than they said. They came out in December saying, we think we're going to be at the low end of our guidance. They ended up being at the high end of their guidance. And then also, you could see that they are because they have uh, lots of operational efficiency throughout the the quarter. You could see that as you know restrictions were getting tighter again, they could cut costs, and so they have kind of a nimble ability to work within the constraints. So they were able to reduce operating expenses, adjust cash flows. Um, And I also think it's pretty interesting to see that the revenue per active rider actually increased even as the number of active riders decreased about 45%. So people, you know, they're not sharing rides anymore. They might be taking rides for longer, longer periods of time than they used to. If they were taking the train or public transit, they now feel safer in a lift. So I think both of those things showing, uh, showing that they can be a little bit more nimble than you would anticipate and people are still utilizing them and that they think there's going to be that pent up demand going into the summer months, hopefully all combined led to a positive uh, reaction to their quarter. All of the news recently uh, when it comes to this industry has been around food delivery in part because of Uber's acquisition of Drizzly, the alcohol delivery service for just north of a billion dollars. I'm not, I have no dog in this fight. I have no shares that I have bought in this industry. I'm fascinated to see how this plays out because Lyft is clearly going the route of, we're gonna get people from point A to point B and we're not interested in the food delivery. Yeah, they haven't talked at all about food delivery. I think what's really interesting is they mentioned a lot in their conference call their the belief that the future of transportation is a service. And they talked a lot about autonomous vehicles. They have plans to deploy a t- fully autonomous vehicles on network in multiple cities in 2023. They think that's happening sooner than I would think that was happening. I wouldn't say 2023 was an idea that I would be getting into an autonomous lift. But so I think that's really what they're focusing their efforts on. They have their scooters, they have the bikes, they have the cars, and they're going. They're kind of focusing, saying we're doing one thing and we're going to do it better than anybody else and hopefully cheaper for the user. And then that will lead to those uh, economies of scale we want them to see. If Wall Street was surprised by Lyft not losing as much money, it was really surprised by Under Armour reporting a profit in the fourth quarter. And revenue also came in higher than expected. Shares of Under Armour up around 8 10% today. Yeah, I think now is a good time to kind of look back at the past year for Under Armour since Patrick first joined as CEO January 1st, 2020. He's really tried to streamline operational efficiency 
efficiency. He sold my fitness pal. He reduced some unnecessarily expensive sponsorships. He talked about Under Armour becoming a purpose-led company instead of a product-led company. It wants them to become a premium brand again. And so I do think that he deserves credit for really putting his all into making Under Armour a turnaround story. I'm not necessarily certain that that's what's going to happen, but I do think he deserves credit for trying. Uh, last quarter, you saw revenue down 3% to $1.4 billion. That wholesale revenue was down 12%, but their direct-to-consumer revenue was up 11% with 25% growth in e-commerce. And that's the trend we're going to keep seeing. You know, They're focusing more on coming direct to consumer, being more of a premium brand, stepping back a little bit from being in every TJ Maxx or every type of wholesale retailer. And so they're really trying to uh, to like streamline that and look at that in the most effective way as possible. And then for uh, the full year of 2020, their revenue was down 15% to $4.5 billion. So, I mean, they still made $4.5 billion in 2020. So I think that <laughs> they deserve some credit for that. Um, and the last thing is that they did sell my fit, fitness pal. They ended connected revenue, that segment of their revenue. Um, and so they did sell it at a loss, which is unfortunate. They sold it to Francisco Partners for less than they bought it in 2015. But um, I do think Patrick Frist deserves some some kudos for what he's done in the past year. You know, I look at the increase in e-commerce sales. That was up 25%. And it's it's... It's nice. Don't get me wrong. It's it's nice to see that. It's hard to get overly excited about that when, over the past six to ten months, we've seen other retailers coming out with triple-digit increases in e-commerce sales. But look, you got to you got to crawl before you can walk. So uh, it's it's nice to see at least that's happening. Patrick Frisk is um, really has a tough task ahead of him. And um, from time to time, I'll do uh, interviews with our affiliate radio stations. And about a month ago, I was doing an interview, and, and the host asked me, "Who do you think?" You know, it was sort of a 2021 preview, and he asked me, "Who who do you think are a couple of CEOs that are on the hot seat this year?" And one of the ones I mentioned was Patrick Frisk, and I said, "This this may seem a little unfair because he's only been CEO for a year." But I feel like if he's not on the hot seat, he's certainly under the microscope. And you know, all kidding aside, this is the kind of quarter that you look at. You look at the enormity of the task that he has in turning around this business, which has a good brand. It you know, Under Armour makes good products, and it's like, all right, this this is a good start to the year. And now I'm even more excited to see. Well, great, what more progress can they make over the next three to six months? Yeah, I mean, he has a hard task ahead of him. He's done a good job the past year, but going from a brand who, you know, is associated a lot of times with sales and going, you know, if you go into TJ Maxx, you can pick up something from Under Armour on sale to trying to pivot and saying, no, we want to be a premium brand. I think that is a pretty monumental task that he is undertaking in the next year or two. So I'm interested to see what he does and how he plans to be most effective in that route uh, and see where they go moving forward. It's got to be a really tough decision, um, you know. If you think about over the past ten years, some of the like put Under Armour aside, think about some of the brands in the sort of fashion apparel space that have essentially been unable to resist the lure of discounting. It's like, well, we can, you know, 
we can go wholesale, we can go into, you know, we can get access to all of these Tantra outlet malls and that sort of thing. And it's, you know, it's a compelling argument. And I understand why really good to great, you know, really premium to luxury brands would be tempted by that. And it's, you know, to the point you're making, it seems like it's the kind of thing that if you go that route and it doesn't work out, you can unwind that, and clearly Under Armour is trying to do that, but it's going to take some time, right? I think so, and I, I wonder if they're going to ever be synonymous with Lululemon the way they are with Nike. Oh, do you th- I mean, do you think that that's what they're trying to do? Because I, I hope not. If they're I, trying just, to become, as a shareholder, I, I'm like, oh, please don't, if please don't delude yourself into thinking. If they're trying to become a luxury think- brand. What's that? If they're trying to become a luxury fitness brand, the that's the first one I would think of. If you say, you know, what's a high-end fitness brand, I would say Lululemon. I agree with that. I, I hope that Under Armour is not trying to position themselves as a luxury brand. I, w- I would hope that they would instead look at what Nike has done very successfully for decades and say, we think we're going to try and go that route. Hopefully. Maria Gallagher, always great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.